Welcome to episode 146 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Hi friends, an incredible fasting aid is coffee. Yes, I am all about the coffee. I am a huge fan of its health benefits, as well as how it can support your fast and really help with energy and fat burning. And I have a big announcement. The brand of coffee that I have been drinking for an entire decade now, I am no longer drinking. There's some drama, there's some science, and I'm about to tell you how to get a discount on my new favorite coffee. So I've been drinking the coffee formerly known as Dave Asprey's Bulletproof Coffee for literally a decade. I do not drink it now, so this is not a Bulletproof Coffee commercial, but I started drinking it because I so trusted Dave and his obsession in creating mold-free coffee because moldy coffee beans is a huge problem and a lot of people can get health issues, brain fog, and crash after coffee because of the mold control. Contamination. Dave has been talking about this for so long, so I really trusted him and I would drink Bulletproof Coffee, which I absolutely loved and loved that it was mold-free. Then there was some drama. Dave sort of got kicked out of Bulletproof. He might be going back. There's a lot of stuff going on with that. Follow him on Instagram if you want to learn more about that. He even talked about it at the recent biohacking conference. But in any case, <laughs> drama aside, he can no longer speak to Bulletproof Coffee as to whether or not it is mold-free. And he ended up making a coffee even better than Bulletproof Coffee, and it is called Danger Coffee, and friends, I love it. It's the first coffee that is not only mold-free, but actually can help you remineralize. Yep, that's right. Danger Coffee contains a patent-pending formula that actually remineralizes your body with more than 50 trace minerals, nutrients, and electrolytes. On top of that, it is super clean. I know people like to see organic labels. Friends, I have learned so much about the certification industry. And honestly, the best of the best is finding people that you trust who do extensive testing and third-party certification. That's what I do with my Avalon X supplements. And that's what Dave does with Danger Coffee. So with Danger Coffee, they use a process that far exceeds government and industry standards. And it is third-party lab tested. So you can rest assured it is free of mold toxins. As for the flavor, Dave selected these hand-picked farm direct beans for their quality, their superb flavor, and their elevated performance. I love the taste of it. It's much richer and more nuanced than Bulletproof Coffee. It's honestly one of the best coffees I've ever tasted, and it's so exciting to know that when I'm drinking it, I'm actually helping to remineralize my body. So that's right. If you want your coffee to contain antioxidants, anti-inflammatories, micronutrients, and help optimize your fasting, you want Danger Coffee. And of course, I have a discount for you guys. You can go to melanieavalon.com slash Danger Coffee. 
and use the coupon code Melanie Avalon to get 10% off. Again, that is melanieavalon.com slash danger coffee with the coupon code Melanie Avalon for 10% off. This is my favorite coffee. Like I said, it takes some really good coffee and convincing biohacking health reasons to break me from my 10 year decade bulletproof coffee habit. But sometimes you just got to upgrade. And by the way, this would make epic presents for people. This can just become your go-to present. Not only will people love it, but you'll be helping their health as well. Everybody wins. MelanieAvalon.com slash Danger Coffee with the coupon code Danger Coffee. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers, from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 146 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? 
I am great. It's a beautiful day. It's been 77 this afternoon, which is very seasonably warm. Un, un, it's unseasonably warm, I should say. It's very unseasonable. So I was sitting outside. All the cats came out. Ellie ate a lizard. It's going to be really, so really sad. cold next week, though. Really, what, oh, sad good. that she no, ate no. a lizard or sad that it's warm? <laughs> sad that it's warm? It's like I've been like mourning it. I'm like, when yeah. is it going to be cold? I have on flip-flops. I painted my toenails. <laughs> I do too, but <laughs> yeah. Wait, so it is going to get cold again? Oh, it's going to be so cold. Yeah, next week it's going to be really cold. Like I'll probably be complaining next week about it. It's going to be so cold. But yeah, it was lovely to be out there in the warm. But yeah, she ate that lizard just sitting right there beside me. She was happy too. The lizard was the only one who was not happy. I'll be super happy next week when it's cold. Yeah. Or I'll be happy now, but <laughs> I'll be happier. <laughs> Anything new in your world? Well, there was a fabulous article today on CNET that quoted me a lot. And so that made me happy. That quoted you? Yeah. He reached out to me. The, the author did. It was on CNET in their cheapskate column, which I love because he was talking about intermittent fasting and how it saves you money. But he reached out to me for an interview. And so it's um, it was a great interview. It was fun to see it. It's always exciting when you see a really good interview. So um, Awesome. We'll have to put a link to that in the show notes. That's amazing. I love CNET. It's legit. It is legit. And so it's like... You know, there I am in CNET. His name is Rick Broida. I hope I'm saying that right. The um, the author, Rick Broida, B-R-O-I-D-A. So I'll send you a link. Awesome. Definitely put a link to that. I think I was actually on CNET last night. They do a lot of like technology reviews, right? They do. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm trying to find, I need listeners, if any of you have one and you really recommend it, because I haven't found one that seems to have like all five-star reviews. Everybody's always on the fence about all the different ones. I want one of those pins where you write and take notes and then you can like send it to your computer and it changes it to text. Yeah. That sounds like something from the future. (laughs) The future that we don't live in yet is what it sounds like. And they really work. Well, half the people are like, this is the best thing ever. And then half the people are like, you know, complaining. So I'm like, I bet it's their handwriting. Yeah. Apparently the, the, apparently, none of them have a very smooth interface with the computer. It's kind of like you download the app that goes with it, and then it can be kind of clunky to get it. Like it's not a streamlined process, as streamlined as it could be. Oh. But I just take so many notes when I'm reading, and I do it by hand, and then I retype those. Okay. So I would love if I could just take... Okay. No, I'm going to tell you not to do that. Let me tell you why. Because I relearn it and read. Yeah, you do. But I, the thing is, is Jen, I don't teacher. have time anymore. Okay. Well, like I, it's such a good strategy because you get it. You're getting it all those different ways, and you're you're rehearsing it. You know, you're learning it. Yeah. So. Every time you resynthesize the information in a new way, you relearn it. But like, I, I like literally don't have time. It's like there's not time anymore. Well, I get that. We're trying to pick out wallpaper for the dining room. Wow, my husband is strangely interested in helping me pick out the wallpaper dining room. But, um, oh, I didn't tell you, did I, that he, we found out he has like some crazy blue, yellow colorblindness. No. See, I had no idea. I didn't even know that was a thing. It's like some kind of weird, we have one son, our younger son, who has red, green colorblindness. And we've known that for a while. He doesn't see, you know, certain shades properly and you can do an online test to see. So then over like, right. The day before Thanksgiving. Okay. I'm having like what, 16 people over for Thanksgiving. And my husband says, I'm going to paint the kitchen today. 
And so I just, you know, was like, all right, whatever happens, happens. I texted everybody that was coming and said, if there's paint everywhere, you know, just bear with it. But he got it done. But he painted it this color of gray that we picked out together. And I love it. It is a beautiful, soft gray. Well, he swears it's blue and it's not gray. And he's like, it's horrible. It's the worst color ever. And then he went on and on about it for so long that I was like, you know what? I wonder if our son got his color blindness from you. So I pulled out one of those those tests on the internet and I made him take it and I was sitting right beside him and there were certain things he couldn't see. And I'm like, what do you mean? You can't see that. You know, that that's how, you know, you have the colorblindness and it came back this blue, blue, yellow, and everything he sees looks extra blue. So do you know how hard it is to pick out colors with someone like that? And it explains a lot. Wow. Did he have like a, like a life change epiphany moment where he realized he's been seeing the world a different way? I don't know, but really it's frustrating because you pick out a color and it's gorgeous. And then he's like, yeah, but that's not what it looks like to me. And you know, he's right. (laughs) Doesn't look gorgeous to him. So it's a little bit frustrating and sad because, you know, if I'm super happy, he might not be. And we both see it differently. So, but it does help for me to understand, you know, he really is seeing it differently. But I didn't even know that kind of colorblindness was a thing. And it's apparently very, very rare. So leave it to us to have that one. But now we're picking out wallpaper. So I'm like trying to pick out wallpaper and we're so busy because the Facebook groups are growing so quickly that I don't even have time to go do that. So I get it about the time. That The whole story was me saying, I don't have a lot of time even to pick out wallpaper. <laughs> it reminds me of that whole dress thing. Remember that? Yes. When the people saw it as, what, what was it? Blue and white or yeah, I can't remember. Gold and white or. Yeah, it was like blue and it's like gold. Yeah, gold or blue. I only ever saw it one way. And then some people said that they would like see it one way and then it switched and they never saw it the other way again. It's like, that's intense. Yeah, I saw it both ways and it was weird when it would, when you would see it one way and then the next time you'd see it completely differently. I Yeah, I never saw it a different way. Speaking of the time thing, I think I'm starting to come to the accept the fact that I can't read everything or listen to everything. And that's okay. It's true. I'm like coming to terms with this. It's yeah, I've been there already. You know, I was, I was like, yeah, I can't read that. not going to read that. <laughs> Don't have time to listen to that. If I didn't have all this Facebook going on, but I can't do Facebook and listen to podcasts or anything. I just can't. And you know, I, I there just isn't enough time in the day. So I heard, I read something really fascinating though. What was that? This is like super random. It was this guy saying that when it comes to food sensitivities, and I did not plan this because we do have Everly Well as a sponsor on this episode, which we can talk about in a second. He was saying that one way you could subjectively check for food sensitivities, because you know people will check for food sensitivities with their heart rate because um, your heart, your pulse will like change when you take in a food that you're like your body's reacting to. He was saying... It was sort of complicated. I can put a link to it in the show notes, but basically you could use a metronome. That's like the thing that makes the, the right. The musicians use for, for the click, 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 click. But what I got from it was you could use it as like a measure of time because apparently your subjective perspective of time changes based on what like state you're in. So like there was this way that you could, um, like eat foods and like see if it changed your perspective in regards to a metronome. Oh, that's interesting. It was really, really interesting. I, I need to read it again. It was on Self-Hacked. I love that website. I was like, oh, that's so interesting. 
Yeah. But speaking of food sensitivities, all right, shall we get into our questions for today? Yep. And we have the first one from, okay, now I am going to not know how to say this one. And I'm so sorry because um, this is a listener from France. She tells us later on, she's from France, Anae, perhaps it's a beautiful name, A-N-A-I-S with even like a little punctuation over the I that I don't even understand because it's, it's beautiful though. I can tell Anae. How would you say it, Melanie? Anae. Well, I'm going to say Anae, and if that's not right, I'm sorry, but your name... And I love how she spelled my name with a... Um, I know. With a French way. Her name is beautiful to look at, so I'm sure she probably says it in a beautiful way, and if I'm saying it incorrectly, I apologize. Um, anyhow, Anae says, hi, Jen and Melanie. Now, how would you say Melanie with that little symbol? I have no idea. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm just going to say Melanie, because I'm in Georgia. And she says, thank you so much for all the information you provide on your podcasts. It's life-changing. First, I want to give my story because I was the kind of person who was persuaded that my ideal window was on the evening, but it was hard for me to wait until that time. And then I was finding myself eating a lot of unhealthy food in a long window. Then I realized that eating lunch instead was so much easier for me. This way, I can eat within a shorter window. I eat much healthier foods and I'm not frustrated while fasting. And I'm not even hungry at night. So I really encourage people who have a hard time waiting before eating to try another window. That is such good advice. I would like to, I'm stopping right now just to say yes. You know, just because my ideal eating window is evening, that does not mean yours is. And the same with Melanie, you know, Melanie's window is later than mine. And we all are different. So tweak till it's, it feels right. Tweak it till it's easy. Yeah. That was actually one of the reasons I really wanted to include this question was I just loved what she said just there. It's so encouraging. Like, you know, that she tried one window and then, you know, realizing that it's okay to try different windows until you find one that works for you. I just thought this would be super motivating for listeners. Yeah. And if you're, you know, white knuckling it every day and trying to go longer than, because you think you should, you no, choose the window that feels right. Of course. Now, if you're white knuckling it every day and it's really, really hard, I do want you to examine what you're having during the fast because I know that when I used to, before I discovered clean fasting, when I was having the things that caused me problems, fasting was a lot harder. So that actually kind of fits in with the second part of her question. She says, my question is about herbal teas because I love having a huge cup of herbal tea in the evening, but I'm afraid it will spike my insulin. Do you know about an herbal tea that wouldn't? Thank you so much from a French listener. P.S. You're allowed to correct my English if it's not good with a smiley. And I just wanted, I read that because I wanted to say that your English was fabulous and I'm so impressed. And so um, I wanted you to know, great English. Hi friends. I'm about to tell you how to get an exclusive discount on one of my favorite products for truly upgrading your health on a cellular level. So the new year is upon us and it's often a time where people are really trying to instill new habits and really upgrade their health. There's something I have been using for years, not just at the new year, literally every single day of my life. I am not making that up. Even when I travel, I have a way to address it then, which I will tell you about. And it's something that is so easy and feels amazing. 
That is red light and near-infrared therapy. Okay, so friends, you could go somewhere and pay a lot of money to do red light near-infrared therapy sessions, or you could just bring it to your home and use it every single day. That's what I do. I've been using Juve red and near-infrared light therapy devices for so long. There are so many clinically proven benefits of red light therapy. That includes improving your skin. Yes, you really will notice it. Faster muscle recovery, reduced pain and inflammation, enhanced sleep, and so much more. I use it in the morning and evening as ambient light because it actually mimics the setting and rising sun. And then I sort of run it throughout the day as well to help combat all of the blue light that we're exposed to, which can have a negative effect on our health. Whenever I have muscle pain, I shine Juve on the muscle. For me, it has made the pain go away instantly. And then for chronic pain, when I do continued sessions, it's made it dissipate. One of my good friends who is a doctor uses these devices on his, shall we say, manhood for benefits there. Yes, it can help in that department as well. I honestly could not imagine my life without Juve. You will just feel so good using these devices. People also post all the time in our Facebook group of their pets gravitating towards the Juve because intuitively they just know that it's good for them. The reason Juve can address so many things related to health is because it actually affects our cells on the mitochondrial level. Basically, it makes those cells perform better. And when those cells are performing better, everything just works better. That's why, yes, Juve can help with your energy as well. I've been recommending Juve specifically for years because the quality of their devices are the best. Their modular design allows for a variety of setup options to give you flexibility. The treatments are so easy. You can do them in as little as 10 minutes, or you can be using it all throughout the day like I do. All you have to do is relax and let your body take in the light. They also have their Juve Go, which you can travel with. Yes, that is how I really do use this every single day. That Go is also great for targeting specific areas of your body, like hurting joints or sore muscles. Honestly, friends, health doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be complicated. If you're looking to enhance your health and wellness this new year, start with what matters, which is your cells. And Juve has an amazing offer just for our audience. You can go to juve.com slash ifpodcast and use the coupon code ifpodcast to get a discount on your qualifying order. Again, that's j-o-o-v-v.com forward slash ifpodcast to get an exclusive discount on your order. Pick up Juve today. Some exclusions apply. I really hope you guys can experience Juve. It really is one of my favorite things. And we'll put all this information in the show notes. All right, now back to the show. All right, Melanie, what do you say about the teas? Oh, the teas. Um, okay, when I first read this, I didn't realize it was in the evening because I was going to say try like the peppermint teas, the mint teas. Um, but those might actually be a little bit stimulating. Those might be more of like something you'd have. And I also wouldn't recommend peppermint during the fast. Peppermint teas? Right. Yep. What herbal teas would you recommend? You know, at, when I was researching for, for my new book that's coming out in June, Fast, Feast, Repeat, available now for pre-order. <laughs> Sorry, I have to say that every time. Um, when I was researching for that, I found a fabulous study. I have it linked in the in the new book, so I can't like pull it out right now and tell you where it is. But it's in the it's in the it'll be in the new book. But I found a really great study that talked about all sorts of different flavors and what happens when you um, taste them. And so the only flavor that they found did not cause any kind of insulin release was bitter which explains why coffee and plain tea are such a good choice during the fast because the bitter flavors don't cause the insulin response. You know, they talked about what sour flavors do and what sweet flavors do. And basically peppermint, you know, is a food-like flavor and I wouldn't call it bitter. So if you want to be completely safe 
And as soon as I read that study, I was like, all right, this, this is exactly how I'm going to, you know, explain herbal teas from now on. Because before that, it was just kind of like, eh, herbal teas, gray area, we don't know. And so my new recommendation since reading that study is if it's bitter, thumbs up during the fast, you know, that's probably going to be safe. If it's not bitter, have it during your eating window. Okay. So what would an herbal tea be that's bitter? Um, what's that one? Er- Yerba mate, for example. That one's pretty bitter. There are others that are bitter. I'm not a tea drinker, but when you're drinking it, you should be able to tell if it's if it's got that bitter. Just think of regular coffee. Think of regular tea. Have you had Yerba mate before? Yerba mate? I don't know how to say it. Is that how you say it? Yeah, I thought that was a green tea. Is it not? I mean, it's a whole different herb. It's a different plant. It's not the oh. same plant that regular tea is. Yerba mate, oh, yeah. I don't know how to say it. Whatever it is, it's a different plant. It's from South America. It said, I guess I'm associating it because it it's caffeinated, right? It, it definitely has energizing properties. So it's not one I would drink at bedtime, no. If I wanted to have something in the evening and my window was closed and I didn't want anything, you know, stimulating like a yerba mate, which I'm saying, if I'm saying it wrong, sorry, I've always said it like that. Um, I would have a mug of hot water, which is what I do whenever my window is closed or if I don't want caffeine. Sometimes I'll have hot water in a mug, even if my window is open, just because I like it that much and I'm not having caffeine, you know, late in the afternoon. People who think I'm crazy, it's a, it's a, I promise you try it. <laughs> well, the um the Asian population won't think you're crazy. Yeah, they always... do not. They do not. We had that discussion today in the um in the advanced group. Someone said she had read that or she heard somewhere that drinking ice cold water was bad for you. And I'm like, you know, I think they're just making stuff up now that they're supposed to be bad for you. <laughs> so to see if we all you know stop doing it. But people were talking about how in Asia they actually do not drink cold water, they drink the warm water. So that was a whole very interesting discussion that spun out of that. Yep. So maybe maybe you should move to Asia. Just kidding. That would fit right in. Well, except for the fact that, you know, my DNA does not match with the the food. So like I can't eat the seaweed. <laughs> no nori for you. No nori for me. No nori. I'll just have to drink my hot water right here. But I would love to go to Asia. They definitely have a lot of teas there. I feel like they have way more tea. I feel like there's big, the big tea drinkers there. Totally. You know, and green tea makes me queasy. Does green tea work well for you on an empty stomach? Um, I used to have it. I, I'm not a big tea drinker, so. All right. So you're a Southern girl. Do you? Did you ever drink sweet tea? No. I never liked it either. I was like the yeah. only person I know that didn't drink yeah, was, sweet tea. I was never a tea fan, really. I've never been really a tea fan. So what, what would you think about her... So she's having a daytime window, but then she's having her tea at night. So I guess something like, I know like celestial seasonings, they have that like sleepy time blend. So that wouldn't, you, that would probably not be a good idea then. Cause well, that has I, like, yeah, I don't think it's going to be bitter tasting. It's, you know, we, for best results, I would avoid all the ones that are food like. I know it's tricky. Um, you know, I did an experiment with myself right before my window opened recently with some cinnamon because, you know, I hadn't had cinnamon ever since you know, during the fast, ever since I switched to a clean fast. And someone had asked about cinnamon that day and they're like, well, it's supposed to, you know, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, it's been a long time since I tested cinnamon. You know, I'm going to open my window soon. Let me just try some cinnamon and see. Well, it, it made me shaky and ravenous. It lowers blood sugar, doesn't it? Well, so does it. I think it lowers blood sugar by causing your body to release insulin. <laughs> that would lower blood sugar. So 
I don't think I don't think it causes the body to release insulin because um it made me shaky. So whatever the mechanism of that was, you know, I, it certainly could also cause your body to release insulin. That would make you shaky. I, the only reason I don't think it does is because um. Well, I know it's supposed to be good for insulin resistance, but that doesn't mean that it doesn't also make you release insulin. I think it actually lowers insulin, if anything, because I think it's tied to um, like AMPK activation. Well, it certainly did not work for me at all. I was testing it to see. It made me super shaky. I mean, I wonder if it lowered your blood sugar. and that- Well, that's what makes you shaky. Yeah. Right. We, I don't think we want to be doing anything during the fast that might lower our blood sugar either. If it's, you know, going to make you shaky and no matter what the mechanism is, that's, I don't want to feel like that during the fast because it could be dangerous. So I feel like we're not much help here. <laughs> well, teas are tricky. Okay. You know, we, we have um, about 60 moderators in the Facebook groups and we talk a lot about, you know, we we're troubleshooting about posts and things like that. And Tea comes up a lot. We just added about 30 new moderators and they're like, oh my Lord, the number of tea questions. And I'm like, yep, I want to punch tea in the face. Sorry, tea. <laughs> their tea is, there's just so many things that are called tea that are not really tea. Tea is tricky. We'd probably be more helpful if we were tea fans. <laughs> Maybe. Well, I, I just really think, you know, I'm giving everyone the power to say, is this bitter? If so, drink it. If not, have it in your window. Now I'm just Googling bitter teas. Hold on. And I still think this is also something that could vary from person to person. Let's see. Because, um, you know, we all taste things differently. It's all just about, about, you know, do you perceive it as like my husband and his color? I think, you know, the way that your taste buds can change, you might perceive something as way more bitter than somebody else. So just briefly looking up like bitter teas, looks like maybe dandelion tea. <laughs> or, um, oh, chicory tea. I've seen that one before. So that's considered to be bitter. I think chicory is very bitter. I think it causes some people problems during the fast. So that would be something to try and see how you feel after um, trying it. I have a blog post called, can I have blank while fasting or something like that? And it talks about, you know, something like that, that you're not sure about the gray area to see if it works for you. All right. So shades of gray, so much gray. (laughs) Tea. (laughs) Tea is my nemesis. (laughs) I I mean, I will say though, for, from my perspective, if I were to have a tea during the day for me personally, like a peppermint tea would work for me. That's just me. If I had to have a tea that would like not make me hungry. And if anything, you know, stimulate my energy. All right. Shall we move on to the next question? Yes. So this one comes from Amy, spelled a unique way as well. A-M-M-Y. And the subject is fasting. And Amy says, hi, I like your podcast. I've been listening for a while and have done research with other podcasts as well. I listen to Dr. Fung. He encourages doing 24-hour fasts two to three days a week for success. But listening to you girls, you do this daily. I would like to lose 15 pounds and have had a problem trying to lose baby weight Though, to be honest, my baby is 11 years old. I was always 124 pounds, but now that I'm well into my 40s, that number doesn't seem possible again. I've always I've always done calorie restriction and exercise like crazy. Now with listening to Dr. Fung and you both, I can now see that stressed my body and lowered my metabolism. My question is, sorry it took so long getting to it. How long does it take to start losing doing fasting two to three days a week? To be honest, I actually do more like a 22-hour fast. 
I get so tired. I know I have leaky gut plus hypothyroidism. That's why I usually only last 22 hours. I discovered that fasting does seem to help with my stomach. Do I need to do a 24-hour fast, meaning not eat for 24 hours? Is three days a week okay? Thank you again for all your input. Keep up the good work. Amy. All right. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, Amy, I think there's a little confusion in there about the the 24-hour fast. Um, We don't do a 24-hour fast daily. Um, instead, we do more like 19.5 daily, right, Melanie? Would you, or is yours more like 24? How long is your window? I mean, I don't count the window, but um, approximately. Mine's like 22, too, <laughs> probably. Mine's usually like two or three hours. Okay. Mine varies. Some days, like today, it's going to be shorter because we're recording later. It's almost 5 p.m., and I haven't had anything to eat yet. So, um, t- you know, I won't have as long of a window today once I break my fast, but we don't fast 24 hours a day because we have that eating window in there. So if you're doing, if you like 22, Amy, then you're doing very much what Melanie does. Melanie does that every day. And I'm more of a probably 19.5 to 24 average, although sometimes my window might be seven hours and sometimes it might be one depending on my schedule. But it's very unusual that I actually go 24. Sometimes I do. Like if I close my window really early one day and open it really late the next, it could end up being, you know, over 24. Like for Valentine's Day, we have reservations at 730. It is possible that I might do 24 that day because if I, you know, finish dinner by 730 the night before Valentine's Day, I'm not going to eat till I get to the restaurant for Valentine's Day. So I would have a 24-hour fast. But I do not purposefully do any fasts longer than just one day's meal to the next day when I open my window. So I do that every single day. I do it seven days a week. And even on vacation, you know, when I went on a cruise with my husband recently, I don't think I had a fast shorter than, I don't know, 14 hours, maybe. I'm just, I can't remember. I'm just guessing. But, um, you know, so every single day I have a fast and in my normal life, 16 to 18 would be the shortest it would ever be unless I'm on vacation. So, you know, you're mentioning doing it three days a week. Well, it depends on what your, your goals are. If you wanted to do three 24-hour fasts a week and that's all the fasting you're doing, I mean, I, I don't know. I, would, I feel like it would be hard to become adapted to that. Because a tw- three 24-hour fasts is not... You mean adapted in a good way or a bad way? I think it would be hard to be adapted to fasting, like you would always have to be, like you'd be refilling your glycogen stores. You'd, I don't know. It just feels hard. It feels like 24 would not be three 24s a week, two or three would not be sufficient to keep you, you know, dipping in and out of ketosis. I don't know. I could be wrong with that. It just depends on also what you're eating. That's there's so many variables there. Yeah. I think it depends on like way too many variables. There's so many variables, but to me, I would struggle if I just did three 24 hour fasts a week and that was it. Back when I did 4-3, which is like the alternate daily fasting, the three days that I remember my down days, I did 36-hour fasts, 36 to 42. So I had three fasts that were longer like that. So what, what do you think, Melanie? I just, I think that the doing a 24-hour fast, two to three days a week, I just, I don't really know how you would fit that in with the rest of the days. Like what would the rest of the days look like? Yeah. Um, so I have a lot of thoughts Yeah. First of all, she says she only lasts 22 hours. First of all, most people can't go like, I mean, a lot of people can't go like eight hours. So I think you're being 
a little hard on yourself. I mean, that's 22 hours is, is good. So bravo for that. And um, I find it interesting that she says she gets tired and that's why she is not just, she doesn't say it's because she gets hungry. She says it's because she gets tired, which I found um, was very interesting. Um, you know, cause I feel like most people say that's because they're, they're hungry. So the difference between like 22 hours and 24 hours, I mean, I don't think that's going to be like a huge magic bullet because she's, you know, doing 22 hours. Does she, she wants to know, does she need to do 24 hours? Yeah. No, she does not need to go that. Yeah. I agree. Like, yeah. There's not like a huge, I think it's more about the consistency of finding a fasting window every day, at least from my perspective, rather than. I mean, some people do well with like a longer fast, you know, short, longer fast and then, you know, days without the fasting. You really have to find what works for you. But I think us in our community, a lot of people find that finding that daily window that works for you can often be the solution yeah. there. I think my point was that three 24-hour fasts is not quite long enough to be considered ADF. It, it, it is exactly like Eat, Stop, Eat, which is Brad Pilon's plan. Did you read That's Eat, Stop, Eat back in the say, day? This, yeah. is like, this is Eat, Stop, Eat. That did not result in any weight loss for me at all. It got me interested in fasting, but... <laughs> yeah, I find it so interesting. People often say like, you could do time-restricted eating or like an eating window and then throw in like a 24-hour fast here and there. And I'm like, I don't think that would be a silver bullet for me at all. Like one 24-hour fast a week. No. Um, I mean, I know she's saying two to three, but... It's really like a matter of you personally and how you're responding. And since she's come from a history of, you know, calorie restriction and over-exercising, I would just really encourage you, Amy, to find a window that you can do every day and um, trying that consistently rather than focusing on trying something two to three days a week. Although that is interesting that you brought that up, that really – if she's if she finds that what you know twenty two hour daily fast isn't enough for her to lose weight with the history of exercising like crazy and calorie restriction, maybe you know a four three ADF kind of a pattern would be the thing that would help her metabolism boost. That's something to think about. Doing the thirty six hour fast, yeah, the down day up day. Do you want to say what that would look like for listeners? So it would look like like when I did it, I did four three. And, and I just talked to somebody this morning I interviewed for my podcast that's coming out and um, this one will not, not drop till April. That's how far ahead I am on that podcast. But she does, she does four, three and she does, well, she actually does three down days, three up days. And then she has one day where she's one meal a day. So she would like, I think her days, um, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, she doesn't eat at all. She doesn't eat on a Monday. She doesn't eat on a Wednesday. She doesn't eat on a Friday. She eats at least two to three meals on Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, the up days, which are the days following the down days, the full fasts. And then on Sunday, she eats one big meal with her family midday. So that's four, three, but really instead of four up days, she has three up days, three down days, and then that one day of one meal a day. There's just so many ways you can structure it. But she's found that she really likes that rhythm because true alternate daily fasting would be, you know, down day, up day, down day, up day, down day, up day. And every week would look different. Some people would rather have a predictable schedule. When I did 4-3, I fasted on Sunday, Tuesday, Thursday. Like I didn't eat at all on Sunday or Tuesday or Thursday. And then the other days I just ate according to my hunger. 
I didn't try to have an eating window. I didn't try to diet because the up pattern is really important because you're trying to, um, you know, give a boost to your metabolic rate. With the research they did on alternate daily fasting, they found that people on the up days typically ate 110% of their daily caloric needs. And so that pattern made up for the the longer fasts. Yeah, they find it's. I find it so interesting because people make the argument often. They're like the benefits of fasting are purely due to calorie restriction, and so you know even when people practice, you know IF, it's because they accidentally, even if they're not meaning to, they end up calorie restricting anyway. And I'm like, even if it was just calorie rest- restriction, which I don't think it is, um, because I think there's a whole genetic factor and a lot of other things involved. But even if it were just calorie restriction how amazing is it that people do it and then they accidentally calorie restrict? Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Like, how is this a bad thing? Because people will be like, they'll dismiss it. They'll be like, oh, it's just, it's the same as calorie restriction. I'm like, well, if it's a way to make people accidentally calorie restrict, how, <laughs> I don't see that as a bad thing. And you thing. know, I actually have talked to people. Donna Doobie is one. She's one of my moderators. She wasn't, I don't think she was a moderator when I talked. Maybe she was, I can't remember. But I interviewed her on intermittent fasting stories last year She's a nurse and she struggled with her weight for a long time. And she talked about how she counted calories. She worked out like crazy and she knows how many calories she was eating. She's not one of the, you know, people always say, oh, you're not really reporting it accurately. Then, you know, if you can't lose weight, you must be lying about what you're eating. That's something that unfortunately overweight people hear all the time from doctors and from everybody. Oh, you must be lying to yourself or you're lying to me. No, she was keeping track. And she knows what she was eating and she was really overweight and could not lose the weight no matter how little she ate and how much she worked out. Well, now that she's doing intermittent fasting, she's lost, I don't know, 140 pounds. She is a a huge success story. She's amazing. And she eats more calories now than she did when she couldn't lose a pound and was gaining. Yeah, it's, it's crazy, which reminds me. Did you listen at all to that that podcast I sent you yesterday? I haven't had time. I listened to like one minute of it. The one that you said was super good. Where he talked about the doctor and the pill. No, he talked about like fasting or a pill. Is that is that what it said? No. Oh, I think you listened to the wrong minute. What, okay. what did uh, well, you talk- I listened to that period that you said to listen to. I can't remember. I was like, that didn't blow my mind. I can't remember. Tell me then what it was. You must have listened to the wrong or the wrong different part. Um, the part I sent you was where it was um, Peter Atiyah's The Drive and he was saying how he thinks fasting is. It was a two hour long podcast, by the way, people. Yeah. I will put a link to the show notes. I listeners, the amount of information contained in it was insane. And it was all the things we've been talking about as far as like losing weight and gaining weight and how that affects the body's reaction to calories, to fats, to carbs, how fat cells change. Um, something that blew my mind. I didn't know. Did you know that apparently if you've never been overweight, your fat cells are most like are more likely to when you eat excess fat just grow, and then if they get too full, they would split and grow new flat cells. But if you've been obese and then you diet down, apparently for some reason, this was according to what they were saying, if you take in like excess energy, your fat cells are more likely to duplicate at the beginning right before they get filled. Ooh, that's interesting. Isn't that interesting? I was like, oh. Well, and, and then, I, um, I did read some of the transcripts. Well, not the transcript, but they had like all these timestamps and I was scrolling through. And I did see them talk about something. I didn't hear it, but I saw them mention it about how much harder it is to lose weight if you've been obese for a long time. 
Yeah, that was um, because the it was with um, one of the co-authors of the book Genius Foods, and apparently he used to be really obese or overweight, but they were just talking about how the body reacts and you know, when you're, when you've been overweight and then you're underweight and they talked about what you were just talking about, Jen, about the doctor's perspective of how people are treated. They talked about how something I've talked about before that perhaps the people who are most in danger actually have metabolic problems with overeating or actually thin people, because it means it might be that they're not storing, like their body's not able to handle excess energy properly. So rather than storing it safely, it builds it's like just in the bloodstream and creates all these metabolic problems, which is actually I think one of the reasons that like the Asian population, despite being typically fit, you know thinner on the thinner side and don't look like the profile of metabolic problems, are actually very prone to diabetes. Oh, the the part that I sent you to listen to was where he was saying, "I listeners, I listened to it literally like ten times. I just played it over and over again. It was so beautiful." He was saying, uh, Peter T was saying that fasting he thought was i wish i could like put a clip of it in here because he said it so like hauntingly that fasting is like he thinks the most powerful drug we have oh i heard that yeah i heard that yeah that sounds familiar but he said what's haunting about it is oh yeah 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 yeah. yeah. okay yes i remember that okay yeah but he doesn't know personally he doesn't know like the dope what the dose is so like he said it's like the equivalent of a doctor being like here's a pill that's the most powerful drug most powerful medicine that we have ever. And then you ask the doctor like, okay, how like how long do I take it for? And he's like, I don't know. <laughs> and it's like, um, what's, what's the most the dose? effective dose? I don't know. I don't yeah. know. And then like, um, who can take it? Oh, everybody can take it. Um, and because Peter T is like such a fan of fasting, but he actually doesn't even consider like what we do intermittent fasting, fasting. He he considers that time restricted eating. He thinks intermittent fasting, um, he qualifies that as 36 hours or more. Um, but he regularly does, I wonder if he knows I'm like talking about him so much. I know he regularly does like, um, five hour fasts. Five day. Quite, yeah. And he sounds like he did, a five hour fast doesn't sound five, very Sorry, five, five day fast, <laughs> five day fast. Um, but he just does so much and he's a, you know, practicing doctor and he just does so much research on himself and his patients and like the metabolic implications. And why am I talking about this? What were we talking about? About the length of that we were talking about the length of the time and how you have to tweak it. But yeah, that's the part I listened to. But you were like said it like made you have chills and it did not make me have chills. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> is this it? I don't have chills. Okay, but no, it's true. It didn't give me chills. Because he was saying it's like the most powerful medicine, but he doesn't know. There's the honesty of like I don't know the dose of this. Like it's this beautiful thing, and we just don't know about it. I just found that so haunting. And you know, what's right for one person is not right for another. The the length. And so, you know, we had someone today who posted that she had been doing 186 and it worked beautifully for her. And then she, you know, I always talk about 195 and if someone is not losing weight, I'm like, "Well, I need a 195 tweak and see what works for you." So she tried to go to 195 and suddenly she was starving and overeating and it was hard and and I'm like, well, then go back to 18.6. Let's tweak something else. And, you know, just because the 19.5 was a, a great window for me to lose weight, that doesn't mean it's right for everybody. And I also, towards the end, I also tweaked my food choices a lot. I think people forget that part of my journey, you know, because now I eat what I want 
Of course, my food tastes have changed, but when I was losing weight at the very end, trying to get to goal so I could buy my spring wardrobe in the size that I thought I was going to be, I delayed processed foods. I delayed alcohol. You know, I don't like to call it dieting. I didn't diet in my window because I ate until I was satisfied every single night and I was eating plenty of carbs. I was eating plenty of fat. I didn't feel like I was dieting, but I delayed the foods that I knew did not help me lose weight. Oh yeah, that's why I was talking about it because you were talking about the struggle of, because I guess her struggle with like the hypothyroidism and affecting her metabolism, and that was one thing they talked about in that episode as well. And again, I'll put a link to it in our Himalaya playlist, intermittent fasting podcast stuff we like, which we are a Himalaya partnered show, by the way. I'll throw that out there. But one thing they were talking about was like even reverse dieting, which was for bodybuilders who get down to you know these shockingly low weights. How do you raise back up their metabolism without creating all this? fat gain at the same time. And what they were talking about was actually, and something I've been talking about a lot recently is um, the potential of a super high carb, super low fat diet, because they were saying that um, the body doesn't really turn much excess carbs to fat. It's more likely going to boost the boost the metabolism and you know create thermogenesis and burn off those carbs instead. So reverse dieting can um, manifest often as like a high protein, high carb, low fat diet and eating with shocking amounts of calories without necessarily gaining the equivalent amount of weight. And something they were talking about in that podcast a lot was what is the possibility of excess calories depending on the substrates and whether or not they can literally become fat gain or not. Um, it was such a nuanced Well, I wish I had to ride somewhere in the car for a long time because that sounds like one I'd like to listen to. <laughs> I don't know how I'm going to – would force myself to take two hours to not – do anything and just listen to that. That's the thing. Well, if you want to like clean your house for two hours or something. Yeah. If you listen to one episode this year, Jen, this might be the one. I mean, it was. It sounds really amazing. Oh, what I want to do, maybe I could put it on fast motion and listen to it fast. Yeah. Actually at the beginning, that's the, um, I think it's a sign that you should listen to it because at the beginning he's interviewing, like I said, it's the co-author of Genius Foods. And he was saying how weird it was to talk to Peter Atia. um, at normal speed because he was saying normally when he listens to the drive, which is the name of the podcast, that he listens to it at fast speed. So he's used to hearing Peter's voice faster. And here's a funny story, listeners. Sometimes we get emails from people. I'm not making this up. Sometimes we get emails from people like yesterday that say, girls, why do you talk so quickly? I can't understand you. And it's because your podcast app can accidentally get set to fast speed. And so sometimes people will have that happen and they think that we talk really fast. Yeah. So if we're talking like chipmunks, <laughs> check the speed. We didn't just decide to talk fast that day. It's the podcast app on a fast speed. But anyway, it's funny because we get those people who are like, why do y'all talk so quickly? It's so funny. But yeah. So for listeners, cannot recommend enough that you check out that episode. And Jen, let me know if you listen. There's It's a gold mine of information. Just a, uh, It touches on everything. I want to, but I... It might be worth it. You could You could see it as the amount of information... That you you could learn, I think in that in that in that two hours, I think would be worth it. Well, just what you talked about with reverse dieting, that's like you know alternate daily fasting. We do that every other day. You know, we know that when you overeat, it boosts your metabolism. That is not a mystery. We know that, and so that's why ADF is so great. If you feel like your metabolism has slowed through years of dieting and overdoing it, or if you feel like your body has adapted to a daily eating window, which it does happen if you're eating exactly the same way every day. Like if you did, you know, if we go back to Amy, if she did 22-2 and she was like the best 22-2-er in the world 
and always ate 22-2 and had the same exact amount of food every day, her body could adapt to that before she gets to the weight where she would like to be. And then you've got to do something to, you know, bust through that plateau. And that's where a little alternate daily fasting could shake things up. You know, I know I've said it before. I tend to, you know, throw caution to the wind on a trip or on a vacation or on a weekend. Or if my husband says, hey, let's go to lunch, you know. And so I've naturally had days where I've eaten more. I'm not that um, disciplined to have a short, short window every single day. So I think that's protected me. It's actually been helpful So when someone, you know, has a day off, don't feel guilty. Consider that your metabolic boost day. Oh, that was something else, Jen, that they talked about. I was going to say, I didn't ask them to say this. I feel like, I feel like I I asked them to say this because um, it's what I'm always talking about. Um, What is, like, I I should be giving the name of the guy that was interviewed. That would probably be helpful. Hold on. I want to bring him on my podcast. I'm just not trying to right now because I don't want to get overwhelmed. Okay. So the guy he was interviewing, by the way, so Genius Foods is the book, and the author of that is Max, I don't know how you say his last name, Ligavere, I don't know his name, Um, but he wrote it with an MD, he wrote it with an MD, Paul Gruel, Gruel, and that's who was on the um, the episode. But one thing they were talking about was, I think it came about about because they were talking about the role of um, cholesterol and HDL and LDL and how that all manifests based on dietary choices. And um, the... What do you think um, Dr. Gruel thinks might be probably one of the most detrimental things for us metabolically? Oh, I'm sure it's going to be seed oils because that's what you yeah, the, right? <laughs> the polyunsaturated fats. Um, <laughs> and then they were talking about, you know, where are these found in nature naturally? And yeah, I was like, I know it's the poofas because they were talking about how it was the trans fats, but being demonized, but now the focus might be shifting to that. So it was so fascinating. But in any case, great discussion. Before we move to our next question. All right. Shall we move on to the next question? Yes. And this is from Rotunda. I'm having a hard time with names today. Rotunda. I hope that is right. Another beautiful name. Rotunda. Is that how you would say it, Melanie? I would say rotunda. I, I'm not sure. Okay. Well, um, either way, it's a beautiful name. And I'm sorry that we don't know how to say it. Um, it says, hi, I just learned about you and your podcast today. I listened to episode two. I couldn't find episode one. By the way, a note from us, that episode had technical difficulties and it's no longer available. So y'all are not missing anything. Just subtract one from every episode and pretend like two is one. Yes. People get very upset. Where's episode <laughs> one? You're not missing anything. It was our, we talked about our personal stories in it. So we talk about our personal stories while we talk about our personal. You have not missed a thing. Yeah. And then also in our books, we have our histories as well. So yeah. All right. So she listened to episode two today during my lunch break. I thoroughly enjoyed it. I've purchased delay. Don't deny. And I can't wait to start reading it. I've been experimenting with IFing for about a year now off and on. I like how I feel while IFing. I've been practicing the 16, eight approach. I think I may need to up my game to a five-hour eating window as I'm a 51-year-old perimenopausal woman. I hear you, Rotunda, because I am 50 myself and also perimenopausal. As of late, I've been following Jorge Cruz's method, which includes tricking my fast with healthy fats by drinking bulletproof coffee in the morning. Jorge recommends a macronutrient balance of 20% protein, 30% carbs, and 50% fats. 
Considering your success, I was wondering, do you too pay attention to the macronutrients you consume, specifically complex and simple carbs? Alrighty. So this was, I did not anticipate this question coming up next. Well, first of all, we are not big advocates of bulletproof coffee. Would you like to talk about that at all, Jen? Or Yeah. I mean, you know, the, the theory is that, hey, have all the fats you want during the fast because it's not going to cause your body to release insulin. Well, that's actually not even true because the common thought that fat does not cause your body to release any insulin is not true. It's going to cause you to release less insulin. I actually read that somewhere. So um, I was like, well, there you go. All the people who say fats don't cause any insulin release. No. But even let's say that fat did not cause any insulin release, you had zero. Yeah, it's going to be lower, but let's say it had zero for purpose of this argument. If you're trying to burn body fat, you want your body to access your body fat. So if you're drinking bulletproof coffee, it, it's not going to magically you know, make you burn more fat than the fat of the coffee that you just included or the fat that you put in your coffee. It's, it doesn't work that way. Now, I could understand if you're trying to adapt to intermittent fasting. You know, I talk about in Delay, Don't Deny, you know, if you weren't, are trying to adapt and have a shorter eating window and you're, you're new, having a low-carb breakfast, a low-carb lunch, and then whatever you want for dinner, that, that came from the um, carbohydrate addicts diet. And then gradually over time, you know, get rid of the low-carb breakfast. Now you're just having low-carb lunch and then a regular dinner. Instead of the words low-carb breakfast, you could substitute the words bulletproof coffee. Use it as, as something to help your body adjust to fat burning, but please don't consider it fasting. It isn't. Yeah, that's a huge amount of energy that you're putting into your body, and it's also food for the body. So if you want to open your window with bulletproof coffee to help you adjust to the fast or to help you burn a, adjust to fat burning, then that would be fine because it you know can help your body develop fat burning enzymes, you know producing ketones. But be aware that it's coming from the, the fat in your coffee, not from your body. So I just think that's really important. Anything you want to add to that, Melanie? No, I think you. I think you said it really nicely. Um, going off that really quickly, just a thought experiment I was having. I think um, when it comes to like low carb versus low fat, because she's talking about paying attention to macronutrients and stuff and such. I think in a calorie restricted state, um, it's less important. Is that what you were going to say? No, no, no. I'm saying oh. I think it, I think low carb versus low fat. I actually think, and it's just me theorizing, but I I almost wonder if it would be the opposite ideal situation, the opposite um, potential for fat gain versus fat storage when you are like losing weight at a deficit versus overeating. So, like to elaborate, so say you're on a, say you have a lot of weight to lose, and you do calorie restricted low carb versus a calorie restricted low fat. Obviously, both of them could work if you stuck to it. I feel like low carb. Though, if it's calorie restricted, it's going to make your body more, you know, wanting to burn fat, you know, like more fat adapted. So you might be more likely to tap into fat while you're fat, while if you're fasting, for example, compared to low carb where you might just be losing weight, but really miserably hungry and, um, you know, less likely to tap into fat compared to the opposite side, an overfeeding situation, overfeeding on low carb. If you're taking in massive, massive amounts of fat, that's much more easily storable, storable compared to massively overfeeding on a super low fat, high carb diet. 
not so easy. Like I just said, not so easy to turn those carbs into fat and it's metabolically boosting. So I, it's like almost like, even though in both situations, calories might be matched, I think they might have different effects in the individual. Just throwing something out there. They talk about more the this more in that Peter Atia episode. But um, going back to Rotunda's question, do we pay attention to macronutrients? I don't. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and that's it's so funny. I think it comes down to probably to how – okay, there's two situations here. I think there's paying attention when you're like wanting to lose weight when that's your goal, paying attention to when you're wanting to – if you're sensitive to gaining weight and not wanting to gain weight, and then paying attention – based on your metabolic sensitivity. So for me, I like I don't do well with mixed macros. So if fat and carbs are both present, does not do well for my body. <laughs> my body doesn't do well handling two different substrates at the same time. And I think it creates a lot of metabolic problems um, in my body personally. I don't think it's healthy for me. And I think that's just because of my... St- how my how I am personally, and I think it changes by people. Whereas I feel like Jen can handle her body handle handles it fine, and I think it really just depends. Again, like I said, by the individual. Um, I think if you do struggle with metabolic problems like insulin fluctuations, or more likely like a tendency to weight gain or something like that, I would really encourage considering doing. I say this all the time, but lower carb or lower fat rather than both together. The exception would be if you could hands down without without fail calorie restrict with the mixed macros and you're fine and you're not going to overcompensate or something. I think that could be a quote safer type situation, but if you have the potential to, especially if you're not counting calories and if you do struggle with any sort of like metabolic issues, I would recommend going lower carb or lower fat in a given meal. doesn't necessarily mean like all the time, but just in a given meal. Something I do wonder is, how long it takes for after a meal to in a way reset and be like, quote, okay, to switch to the opposite approach. And they even, they were even like pondering that in the Peter T episode. I was like, oh my goodness. I wonder that all the time. (laughs) Well, you know, the whole um, Suzanne Summers plan, gosh, what was it called? Summer sizing. I can't remember. She had some books where she had you separate your fats and your carbs. That was her whole thing. You either ate meals that were low carb or you ate meals that were low fat. Yeah, because because here's the thing. If you're eating low carb, I mean, if you're fat adapted and your, your glycogen stores are low, I mean, you're probably in the clear because you're going to burn that fat, you'll store some, but you don't have this other issue of, um, you know, carbs or sugar having to be burned first and then this this energy toxicity almost with too much energy. But... If you have carbs at the same time that you're having a high-fat meal, the carbs are going to shut off using that fat at all. So that, that fat is going to be circulating in your bloodstream. If you're good at storing fat, you'll store it, which is actually very protective metabolically. If you struggle with storing fat, especially like I was just saying, uh, why it's going to be a problem with people who are underweight um, or th- thin or d- who don't seem to have metabolic problems on the outside, it can be more of a problem because maybe they're not storing that fat. So this fat is building up in the bloodstream, but we're running on the carbs we're having insulin, so we're shutting off the cells. You know, we're shutting off the ability to even use that fat. I just think it can be a, a slippery slope. Whereas if you if you do for an extended period of time a low-fat diet that's very high in carbs, I mean, those carbs only have a few places they can go. They can fill your glycogen stores. 
and then they can be turned into fat in the liver. But as we've discussed, de novo lipogenesis is very, very inefficient and it doesn't create much, even in like massive amounts of carb excess. So it's very self-limiting. Of course, the problem is you could have, you know, chronically high blood sugar for a long time, which wouldn't be a good thing either. But um, it's interesting because as far as like gaining weight or something like that, it's very unlikely that you'll actually gain fat from that. I mean, in theory, and what a lot of people would say, like the reverse dieting people and the great peat people is that your metabolism would just boost up and raise to meet that, that carb influx. But I really think the problem comes in when we combine carbs and fat. And I think it's like an energy toxicity problem. And more and more people are even saying that, and I was reading this in um, like William Schufeld and Ted Naiman that they have a new book because they're coming on my other podcast about the power of protein and minerals. And they were positing that, and this is what I keep hearing this more and more and more and more podcasts and more and more discussions that maybe even like diabetes isn't, you know, it's not from too much sugar per se, not from too much fat per se. It's just from an energy toxicity situation where, you know, we reach a point where because of the too much energy, we can't make more fat cells. We can't store more fat. And that's when we're getting diabetes because we're not processing the fuels out of the bloodstream. Um, Because people tend to, even people who become very overweight, they tend to plateau at a certain point. And it's at that point when they can no longer, their body no longer storing excess energy as fat, that there's all, you know, that there's all this extra energy in the bloodstream and enter, you know, diabetes, metabolic problems. And that could happen for somebody who's thin because they've stopped making, storing fat for, for whatever reason. And it's just, you know, building up in the bloodstream. So that was a really, really long, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but the question is the macros. I, I guess the where this is coming from is that I think macros are so important. And I think people so often go to fasting and think it's like a a cure-all, which it's amazing and it's so therapeutic and wonderful. But I, I don't think it can, I still think it's really important to pay attention to what you're eating because that's a whole part of the system as well. And I think, I think fasting is becoming such a like, I'm just nervous because I think it's becoming so popular that people think it's like this get out of jail free card and like it's going to fix all the things. And I think it's an important part coupled with an, a, you know, a, a nuanced healthy approach to diet as well. I feel like I just gave a lecture. <laughs> my only, my only caveat is I have 0% interest in tracking my macros. I just want to eat a simple life where I open my window and I eat delicious foods and and then I stop eating when I've had enough. You know, I think about the people who live in the blue zones who are the you know, the centenarians that live so long. If you went to those people that are 100 years old and say, what are macros? They'd, they'd be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> Macaroni and cheese. I just, that was my joke. Macaroni and cheese. You get it? <laughs> they don't know what macros are. You know, they, they just eat food. They eat food. They don't eat too much. They eat high quality food. They eat fat. They eat carbs. They eat protein. They eat them at every meal together. They're not restricting anything. I mean, they don't eat a ton of dessert. They don't eat as much meat, perhaps, as we eat here in America. They just eat really good food. So I approach it differently from the point of eat real food that works well for your body and stop when you've had enough overeating is not a, a, a good strategy for anybody. And I know you kept, you said the words, but nutrient toxicity, is that the wording? Energy you were using? toxicity. Energy toxicity. I think we have nutrient depletion, okay. and energy toxicity. That's overeating. 
eating too much food. That's not good. You don't want to overeat. So even, you know, with the foods that I'm choosing in my window that work well for my body, overeating is not a good thing. You you know, you want to stop when you're satisfied. So I would much rather learn how to listen to my body and stop when satisfied than have to worry about, you know, should I eat low fat today or should I eat low carb today? I just, I want butter on my roll. Yeah. Well, the the thing is, and that's, I, that's the ideal in my opinion, mindset to be at. And exactly. That's the ideal. I think it's just really hard in today's, in our process society with the food choices available to us. Cause yes, exactly what you said. hundred percent. That's exactly what I think. I just think because of the way f- food is today and it's processed and we have such accessibility to food. Uh, one way that you can be, have a, a safer approach to our modern food system is to embrace a lower fat or lower carb approach, which actually, if you think about it with whole foods happens in nature anyway. So like the foods that are fat and carbs together are like dairy, which is made to grow <laughs> something. <laughs> um, and then nuts, which are made to store all of this energy and grow a, a new plant. And we wouldn't be finding those in like nuts. We wouldn't be finding like massive amounts. Like we find them today at the store and like shelves and shelves. Uh, but beyond that, like fruit, you know, is high carb, low fat. Vegetables are, you know, just fibrous. Um, meat is, can be higher fat, but it's low carb. Um, we don't really find like this combination where they're together like we do with food today. Um, so I think having that paradigm of low carb or low, lower carb or lower fat at a meal, it, can definitely provide a sort of metabolic safeguard for any given meal. Um, I wish it didn't have to be that way. And I don't think it has to be that way. If you are eating, you know, super intuitively and, you know, don't have metabolic problems and can just, you know, be like Jen, which is awesome. And so for all people like Jen do that. And that's the way like I hope to be someday as well. And I think it's the way a lot of, a lot of the centenarian populations are, but for all the people who are struggling or do find they have metabolic issues or are struggling to lose weight, I think that's something to consider. So um, as far as simple or complex carbs, we didn't even talk about that. But um, I think it really depends on the individual. People react differently. It's true. You know, we have that research that proves it. You know, the, um, I have this LinkedIn Feast Without Fear. They're, they're doing the research that the glycemic index is highly, you know, we have this number that we have in the glycemic index, but your glycemic response is high, highly individualized. And I could have a huge glycemic response to something that gives you nary a blip and vice versa. Yeah, I do find just just from the research I've done in general, well, I don't know. I say this. I was going to say I feel like simple carbs seem to be – I don't know. Actually, I've seen – I've honestly seen both. Like on that Peter Tia, they were really talking about going where the starch route because um, they were talking about could you gain – they were talking about like could you in theory if a person ate 4,000, 5,000 calories of just potatoes – could you gain weight from that as a thought experiment? So they were approaching it from like carbs. Repeat people will, will approach it from like the fructose, the fruit. So you really got to find what works for you. Um, so yeah. Well, this has been a lot. It has been a lot. But absolutely wonderful. A few things for listeners before we go. If you'd like to submit your own questions for the podcast, you can directly email questions at iapodcast.com or you can go to iapodcast.com and you can submit questions there. You can also follow us on Instagram. We are I have podcasts. You can follow me. I'm Melanie Avalon. Jen is Jen Stevens. You can follow us on Twitter. I should probably stop saying that because we don't really do Twitter, but it's the <laughs> I have pod. All right. Anything from you, Jen, before we go? Nope. I think that was it. Next week I'll be all bundled up because it'll be freezing. And I'll be happy. I mean, I'm happy now, but I'll be happy, happy, happy. <laughs> happy with the temperature. You'll be happy yep. with the, the weather. All right. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 
Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember that everything discussed on the show is not medical advice. We're not doctors. You can also check out our other podcasts, Intermittent Fasting Stories and the Melanie Avalon Biohacking Podcast. The music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week.